Well, we're in this series, True North. We're looking at how God has put signs all along the roadway of human history. Signs pointing us toward true north, toward God's identity, God's plan, God's purpose, that he has been revealing of what he would do through Jesus all the way back in the Old Testament. And we're looking at how in the very beginning of the Old Testament, God put these signs in history for one reason. Because God wants to be a friend to you, if you can believe that. So last week we looked at how the gospel, this message that that God would overcome evil through what he did by Jesus, that he put that all the way back in Genesis 1, chapter 1 through 3. And and if you haven't seen that yet, uh, you can go watch our message uh, on our Gateway Austin app or on our YouTube channel or uh, our website. But today, I want to take a look again in Genesis at an even clearer sign of what he would do uh, in history. And we talked about last week how the tests of life actually can be opportunities to show God how we love him and to show that we are faithful to him. But maybe you've never considered to also get to know God, to actually see how God is a friend. And so today we're going to look at a couple, Abraham and Sarah. They were the founders of both the Jewish and the Arab nations, and they learned how faith works. You know, it says in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, and without faith, it's impossible to please God. You know, I made this my life verse uh, over 30 years ago. And you ask, well, why? Why why without faith? Well, because faith is just a synonym for trust. And if you think about it, Every friendship, every relationship is built on trust. You know, you have to learn to trust to actually grow in in friendship. So Hebrews 11, 6 goes on and says, Abraham believed or trusted, had faith in God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. A friend of God. Faith made him right with God, but faith was also how he gained friendship with God and earn the title, the friend of God. It's why God says of him uh, to Israel, but you Israel, you descendants of Abraham, my friend, my friend. God wants to call you friend. I mean, can you imagine? The, The creator of the universe wants you to know God like a friend. And I can tell you, I've experienced this, that, that as you walk by faith, you start to see that really my best friend is the one who knows me best and who created me. And think about that. God wants to look at you and say to the angels, look, there's David, my friend. Look, there's Susan, my friend. And today we're going to talk about how that actually happens because it happens by faith. So I want you to ask yourself that question. Do I know God intimately as a friend? And if not, I want to encourage you to, to take some steps today. See, Abraham and Sarah discovered this equation of how friendship, intimate friendship with God happens. And this is what I've discovered as well. Tests plus trust plus time equals friendship with God. In other words, if if you will let your tests be opportunities to actually trust God in time, you will find friendship with God growing. You'll look back and you'll see God really knew me and was interacting with me and really leading me on the adventure of a lifetime. So let's look at the three tests that led Abraham to become a friend of God. And the first one is this, the comfort test. Will I step out of my comfort zone? 
So back in Genesis, um, it tells us that, that Abraham and Sarah were living in Ur of Mesopotamia. Now, interestingly, skeptics for, for many, many years said that Ur is just a mythological city. It's, it's not a real place, just a Bible myth until archaeologists in modern Iraq discovered Ur, real city. And it was a large city for the day. So it'd be like living in a, a modern day London or, or Los Angeles. Abraham and Sarah had all the conveniences of life. They had the good life. It was a comfortable life when God asked them to step out in faith, to step out of their, their comfort zone and to trust him. So Genesis chapter 12, the Lord said to Abram, leave your native country, your relatives and your father's family and go to the land that I will show you. I'll make you into a great nation. I'll bless you and make you famous and you'll be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All families on earth will be blessed through you. So God asked Abraham and Sarah to step out of what's comfortable and follow him and, and, and God promised four things. A land, which is the nation of the land of Israel. Uh, a nation, which is the Jewish and the Arab nations that came from him. A name, we're talking about him today, <laughs> right? Uh, and that he, through them, God would bless all the nations. And as we're going to see, you know, you, you hear about God's chosen people, the Jewish people, but they weren't chosen because they were better than or more special than. They were chosen for a purpose. And that was through the prophets to reveal God's word and to foreshadow the coming of the Messiah who would bless all nations by paying to forgive all our sins. And it says that Abraham believed or had faith or trusted in that promise and it's what made him right with God. See, this is important. It's always been by faith that you are set right with God. It's always been this way. God was providing a way all the way back in the Old Testament to say, when you trust, I'm gonna do something that makes it where I am just to forgive you. And Paul talks about this in Romans 4, 3. He says, the scriptures, talking about the Old Testament, tell us that Abraham believed or trusted God and God counted him as righteous, set him right with God, because of his faith. And he says, when people work, their wages aren't a gift, it's what they've earned, something they've earned. But people are counted righteous or right with God, not because of their work. We don't earn right relationship with God, but because of their trust or faith in God and the promise that he forgives those who sin against him. He forgives all of us sinners. So we are made right with God by faith, by trusting him, but we also get to know God as a friend by faith, by trusting him. And so Abraham is asked by God, go to this land I'll show you, but he was going not knowing. His only map was the trust that God would somehow guide him there. Now I've found that sometimes God asks us to step out of what's comfortable, and here's why. Faith is like a muscle. You know, if, if, if faith doesn't get stretched and tested, just like a muscle, it just becomes flabby. You gotta test it with more and more weight. It's gotta be stretched more and more to grow. And, and, and when we are comfortable, in other words, when, when we have mapped out, you know, our little comfortable surroundings and, and what we can control, then we feel secure in ourselves. See, because we know, we can predict but the problem is we don't get to know God any better that way when we stay in our little comfortable circle. And so sometimes I find God asks us to step out of what's comfortable, what's normal to us, 
Because then we have to learn to trust him. And then we look back and we see God is actually interacting with me. Now, I remember the very first time I was asked to step out of my, my comfort zone by faith. And uh, I just graduated engineering from the University of California, uh, University of, California, University of Texas, uh, the, only, the only school to graduate from, right? Yeah, you can hiss on the, online to the people in your home. Um, I graduated engineering from UT, and I had an awesome job offer in Houston, where I grew up. And it would be stupid not to take this job, honestly, just career-wise. It, it was being offered by the vice president of Shell, who was the dad of one of my friends, wanted me to come to work for him in Houston. I grew up in Houston. I had friends in Houston. But the more I prayed about all the job offerings I had, I sensed that God wanted me to take the job in Ventura, California with Chevron. That, yeah, Houston would be safe and comfortable, but that he was inviting me into a new adventure. Now you say, well, how did you know? Did he speak audibly to you? No, never had God speak audibly to me. But, but here's what I've done consistently, is when I have something like this where I sense God prompting me to step out of my comfort zone, I pray. And, and I pray, God, I, I, want, I want to trust you in this. I want your will for my life, even more than my will. And I, and I keep praying about that because it says this in the Psalms. It says, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart, which doesn't mean if you're happy about God, you'll get the Lamborghini. Okay, that's not what it means. What it means is if you really are leaning into trusting God and you really want his will, as much as you want your own will, you can start to trust the desires that are in you. Because what his promise is, is you lean into him, he aligns his desires more with your desires. In other words, your desires start to align with God's. You can trust what your desires are. So as I prayed, I had a desire to go on this adventure to Ventura, California with God. It was, I didn't know a single person, so it was gonna be very lonely. And so I prayed, God, you know, well, prepare the way, give me good people, you know, that, that I can meet there. And so I packed up my things and off I go. I moved to California and lived happily ever after. No, no, for six months, it was the loneliest time of my life. And in fact, God completely let me down. And I got very frustrated with God. Ever gotten frustrated with God? He doesn't act, you know, kind of what you were expecting. And, and um, you know, I, 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 got, I, I couldn't find a church. I couldn't find friends. I was very disappointed with, with God. I was so lonely. I was tempted to go back to the bars to start meeting people. But this was my opportunity. See, because test plus trust plus time equals friendship with God. And so instead, I started leaning in and I started praying every day, okay, God, you know where I'm at. I'm struggling, I'm weak. I need good spiritual people around me. Bring them into my life, please. And I kept asking and kept asking. For about five or six weeks, when I get a call one day from a guy in Santa Barbara, California, Dave. I met Dave actually because of another step of faith when that summer I went on a mission to Russia. And I met Dave there, and Dave was now the only person I knew in California. He lived in Santa Barbara, and he just lost his roommate and said, hey, would you think about coming and living with me, being my roommate? I was like, huh. And I thought, but Santa Barbara's an hour away from where I work in Ventura. But I thought, I need to be open-minded. So I go that weekend, I visit Dave, I go to his church, I meet all these people my age, we have a blast all day long. So I'm driving the commute that Monday morning to see what it's like and I'm just talking it over with God. 
And I'm like, okay, well, I asked for friends, and yeah, here are friends, but, you know, we're an hour away in Santa Barbara. That's not exactly within my commuting comfort zone, God. It wasn't what I was expecting. And plus, if I, if I move up there, it's going to be an hour commute, all the gas and, and car, you know, expenses. It's not in my budget. I mean, maybe if I had a carpool or something, but I don't, you know? And I was like, I don't know, Lord. I get to work. I meet a guy for the first time at work who asked me, how was the weather in Ventura this weekend? And I said, well, I wasn't in Ventura. I was in Santa Barbara. He said, oh, me too. Oh, really? Why? Well, because I live there. You live in Santa Barbara and you commute? Well, yeah, I, I have a carpool of people I commute with. A carpool from Santa Barbara? Do you have any room? Because I'm thinking of moving there. Well, no, but there is one guy moving in a month. Maybe you can carpool with us then. I carpooled with them for the next several years from Santa Barbara, and one of them came to faith. Now, you may just say coincidence, but I'm telling you, friends, I could stand up here longer than you could sit there <laughs> telling you of the coincidences of when I've stepped out of my comfort zone to trust God and look back and see how he works things for my good. And I get to know him. God personally knows you. Do you know God like a friend? That's how he wants you to know him. And if you don't, maybe it's time to step out of what's comfortable. Maybe God's asking you, inviting you to step out of what's comfortable, you know, to address prejudices at your workplace or maybe he's asking you to step out of what's comfortable and into serving people maybe he's asking you to step out of what's comfortable to share your faith with, with a friend or or with a neighbor or maybe it's to move into a, a a new career that you've had in your heart but you've been afraid to do or maybe it's to get out of an unhealthy relationship maybe it's to trust him with your finances to start honoring God first giving to God rather than just when it's comfortable and convenient Maybe it's getting out of isolation and trying out a community group or a life group here at Gateway so you have some spiritual friends to grow with. Whatever it is, it won't be easy or comfortable. But when you step out in order to trust God, watch how you'll look back and friendship with God starts to grow by faith. That's the comfort test. The next test that Abraham and Sarah went through is called the patience test. Will I wait on God's timing? So God had promised Abraham a nation through which he would bless all nations. Only problem is Sarah, his wife, was barren. She couldn't have kids. How in the world are they going to have a nation if they can't have one child, right? And then besides that, you know, when they left Ur, Abraham was 75 years old. Not exactly the most fertile years, okay? And in fact, in, in Hebrews, I love how they put it. It says, Abraham was as good as dead. Meaning, you know, it'd still be 4,000 years before Viagra's even invented, right? And so Abraham's dead, Sarah's barren. How are they going to have a nation? And yet they trusted. And they went. And then they get to the land and have to wait. And they wait and they wait and year after year and, and, and no son. And Abraham gets frustrated with God. You ever been frustrated with God? Look at what Abraham says. Uh, Genesis 15, O sovereign Lord, what good are all your blessings when I don't even have a son? You've given me no descendants of my own and one of my own servants will be my heir. The Lord said to him, no, no, your servant will not be your heir. You will have a son of your own who will be your heir. And then the Lord took Abraham outside and said to him, look up in the sky and count the stars if you can. 
That's how many descendants you will have. So God even takes Abraham and reassures him. But after the reassurance, he still makes him wait years and years and years. And and finally, it's been 10 years since they got to the land and they still don't have a son. And so they get impatient and decide to give God a hand. (laughs) So here it is, Genesis 16. Sarah said to Abraham, The Lord has prevented me from having children. Go sleep with my servant, Hagar. Perhaps I can have children through her. Abraham agreed. She didn't have to tell him twice. Abraham sleeps with Hagar, his wife's Egyptian maid, and has a son, Ishmael. And when Ishmael is born, jealousy and infighting break out and continue for many generations. They failed the patience test. And what you need to understand is that that had consequences. They failed the patience test, and as a result, it hurt them and their relationships, but it also hurt subsequent generations. After 13 years, though, God comes to Abraham again. Now, God had been silent another 13 years after Ishmael had been born, maybe due to their impatience. He's like, well, you're going to have to wait longer. I don't know. But God comes to Abraham and he says, next year you'll have a son. Sarah overhears it and bursts out laughing. (laughs) She's like, yeah, right. But the next year, Isaac is born. Isaac, the name means laughter. They named him laughter because of God's faithfulness. But here's what we have to understand. You know, Abraham and Sarah were having to wait on God's timing, trusting him. They failed. There were consequences, but they kept learning and pushing in and trusting, and God did come through, and that's what they finally learned, is that when you wait on God's timing, God always comes through on his promises, but it's not always according to our timeline. You ever find yourself being tested and waiting on something, you know, and you're, and you're tempted to take it into your own hands and just do it your way, even though it's against God's will or ways? Remember, it's an opportunity Not only to show your faithfulness to God, but to get to to know God in a new way. You know, God told the Israelites when they got tested and had to wait and trust in the desert why he was doing it. He said, I'm doing it to humble and test you in order to know what's in your heart. What's in your heart? Whether or not you'll keep his commands. Where is it you're having to wait right now? Maybe it's struggling financially. Maybe you're tempted to do something unethical to take a shortcut. You know, maybe, maybe you're tired of waiting on the right person and you're tempted to go put a sexual band-aid on your loneliness. You know, maybe you're tempted in the pandemic. It's just waiting, waiting, waiting. And, and, and you've, got, you've got this thing tempting you to go back to just, you know, old pacifiers that you know are not good for you. Whatever it is. This is a chance to know God. But what it means is you got to press in in the waiting. you got to exercise that faith muscle, praying about it, asking him, you know, talking to him. I'm, I'm weak. I'm feeling weak. Help me. Help me stay faithful to you in this. And you'll look back and you'll know God as a friend. You know, Kathleen, uh, who goes to our church, was doing the Soul Revolution 60-day experiment that we sometimes do about learning to listen to God's promptings all throughout the day for 60 days 
and keeping willing to do what God prompts you to do. And she's out jogging and she's talking to God, uh, you know, about her desires. And she's asking him, she said, God, give me somebody to live my life with. And she said to me later, what I really meant was give me a husband. Uh, But as she was praying this, she sensed, do you trust me? And she kept talking to him about it. And this question, she said, kept coming into into her mind, like, do I trust God to do that or do I want to take control to make it happen? And the idea was like, if, if I, will I trust him if his way of getting me there is different than I would think? Will I trust? And she said, finally, at the end of my run, I said, okay, I'll trust you. And she said, the next thought that popped into my head was adopt children, <laughs> which threw her into a panic, she said. And she spent many days asking, God, was that really you or is that just my, my crazy thought? I mean, really? Adopt children? That's not what I meant by give me someone to live with. And for about three months, she wrestled with God, you know, wrestling about this. Like, do you really mean adopt children? I mean, if I'm a single mom, I'll never meet a man who would want to marry me. And she's saying all these things and her friends are saying, well, maybe, you know, maybe children will help you meet that guy. And she said, well, they're not puppies, They're children, and usually with childlike behavioral problems. (laughs) And yet, every day praying for the next three months, she came to a peace, and she went and talked to an adoption agency. Nine months to the day after that prompting, she had two boys, two-year-old and a four-year-old, who had been greatly neglected. She said her gateway family rallied around her and helped her with them, and as they, they grew, both of them came to faith, here at Gateway, not too long after that, a man joined her Gateway Life group who had four kids and their kids started to hit it off with each other and they started to get all the fam- both families together for the kids to play and before long, they were going out together and after a year, he proposed to her and they got married. And Kathleen said, if God had led me and David together first, you know, we would have never adopted these two beautiful boys. God's timing was very different than hers. But she saw his faithfulness. She got to know him. Tests plus trust plus time equals friendship with God. Are you tired of waiting in some area? Do you see it's an opportunity to interact with God, to trust in his timing? So the comfort test, the patience test, the third is the allegiance test. Will I let it go? So God promised to bless all nations through Isaac, through this child of Abraham and Sarah. And, you know, have you ever noticed all the genealogies in the Old Testament and then in the first of the New Testament talking about Jesus' lineage? That's why. See, Isaac was in the lineage of Jesus, and and God was promising the lineage all down through thousands of years through whom the Messiah would come, and that's why they're there. Well, one day, you know, Abraham's there with his son who's now about 10 years old. Isaac's the love of his life. And God gives him the mother of all tests. Genesis 22, take your son, Abraham, your only son, yes, Isaac, whom you love so much, and go to the land of Moriah. Go and sacrifice him. Go and sacrifice him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains which I will show you. Now, at first glance, This is hard to understand, isn't it? I mean, what is God? 
I mean, a cruel monster. He, he, he makes Abraham wait and wait and wait. He finally gives him the love of his life, falls in love with the son, and then he asks him to sacrifice him. I mean, is God evil? No. No, God is so good, we can only understand his goodness by analogy. Think about that. You know, we sing his love is so extravagant, only heaven knows. We can't comprehend his great love. So he gives us analogies. So picture it yourself. This is not about Abraham and Isaac. This is about God the Father who loves you so much he wouldn't hold back his own son Jesus. This is a prophetic foretelling of what God will do 2,000 years later in Jesus' sacrifice. Now here's why we see that. First, the weird thing is Abraham doesn't even flinch. I mean, it must have been confusing because God had outlawed human sacrifice. In, In Leviticus 18, I do not permit any of your children to be offered as a sacrifice. And as we're gonna see, Abraham actually believed that God would raise Isaac from the dead if he had him go through with this. Why? Well, because Abraham's faith had grown so strong, little step by little step. He knew God. He knew the character of God. He knew God as a friend, and he knew God had said, it's gonna be through Isaac, so it's gonna be through Isaac, and if he has me sacrifice him, he'll raise him from the dead. You gotta understand, this This test of Abraham was a type. It was a foreshadowing, a prophetic foreshadowing of God's plan of how he was gonna bless all the nations through Jesus. So Genesis 22, then God said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah, sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. On the third day, they traveled three days, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said. Where's the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. God will provide the lamb. So look at this. God says, I want you to go to the region of Moriah to a particular mountain I will show you. And they travel a three-day journey to this specific mountain, Mount Moriah. Mount Moriah is where Jerusalem would be built by King David a thousand years later. Mount Moriah is where 2,000 years later, Jesus would walk up the same hill. Notice that uh, Isaac, that Abraham had two servants that could have carried the wood, but he made Isaac carry the wood up the mountain. That 2,000 years later, Jesus would retrace the same steps carrying the wood on which he would be sacrificed. Abraham told these men, we will worship and we will come back to you. It's a foreshadowing of resurrection. Abraham knew God and he knew if I go through with this, God will raise him from the dead. Complete trust. That's a lifetime of walking by faith. God will provide the lamb. See, Abraham knew God's goodness and God's faithfulness so well 
he knew he would have his son brought back to him. And even as he's lifting the knife, God, in a booming voice, Abraham, stop. Genesis 22, don't lay a hand on the boy, the angel said. Do not hurt him in any way, for now I know you truly fear God, and through your descendants, all nations on earth will be blessed. As terrible as the whole test seems, 2,000 years later, God the Father sends Jesus, the Son, right? Which we'll see next week. We're going to go through how that was foretold in the book of Daniel, in the Old Testament book of Daniel. And the Son, Jesus, is a willing sacrifice, the final sacrificial lamb, the payment for justice so that God could be just forgiving all of us of our sins if we're willing. See, willingness is just an act of faith. It's like I'm willing. I recognize my need to be forgiven. I trust. I have faith in you having provided the sacrifice for me because you love me that much. Do you realize that's what God's done for you? Why can we trust him with everything? Because he's demonstrated there's nothing that he would hold back from you. He loves you that much. You know, it's why John the Baptist, when Jesus comes to be baptized, sees Jesus and cries out, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. God did provide the Lamb on the very same mountain where he didn't let Abraham sacrifice Isaac. And you know, friends, sometimes we hold on to things with a white knuckle grip, right? We hold on to them because they're our security. They're our our worth, our sense of being loved, our hope. And sometimes God asks us to let go. Why? Well, because sometimes we hold on to those things and we make them gods and they let us down. But when we let them go and we offer them to God, he's able to give us more. He's able to give us something even better. I'll never forget the first time I was asked to lay down something I loved. And honestly, I mean, I I hesitate to even compare it to Abraham and Isaac, okay? But I think you can relate, right? Because think about when you've held on to something that you've hoped for for life or for love or security, and then you have to sacrifice it. It feels like death, right? So I'm working as an engineer out in Santa Barbara, and I had come to love Santa Barbara. I mean, I, I love the beauty of the place. I love the people. I love my church. And I had fallen in love with God because I'd seen these coincidences. In my life, I, I felt my life was so full. In fact, it was so full, I wanted to tell people about what I was experiencing so they could experience it too. And the more I did, the more I sensed God saying, this is what I created you for. And I felt him calling me into full-time ministry. Now, I had a fear about that. Because I was holding on to my career as a source of my value and worth, right? That's how I'll be loved. I'm successful. And God's asking me to let go and trust him. And I'm thinking, you know, if I go into ministry, you know, no woman I want to marry is going to want to marry me. Honest. And I wrestled for two years over that with him until finally I realized, you're the God of the universe. Why am I not willing to trust you? And I let go of my career. And so I end up going to this conference center, Mount Arrowhead, where I'm doing my training to go into campus ministry. And I I let go of everything except one thing. 
I wanted to go back to Santa Barbara. And I networked and I schemed and I would have bribed if I'd known who to bribe to make sure I went back to Santa Barbara because I I had come to love the team that I worked with in Santa Barbara. I'd been volunteering there. I wanted to go back to Santa Barbara and work there. And so the day of placement comes there at the Mount Arrowhead Conference Center. It's It's called Arrowhead because there's this giant arrowhead in the mountain that you can see from miles away. And so we're there, and it's the day of assignment, and I somehow find a way to sit at the table of the head of placement, and I just mentioned to her, well, I guess I'll be going back to Santa Barbara, right? And she looks at me, and she says, we don't need staff in Santa Barbara. We need staff in Arizona. Arizona. Arizona, that's, that's the desert. That's like the opposite of Santa Barbara. I mean, you might as well send me to hell. You probably need staff there, too. I didn't say it, but I thought it. I was so mad. I was livid. In fact, I got up from the table before the meal was finished, and I took off running, and I ran straight up that mountain, past the big arrowhead. I got up to the top, and I was letting God have it the whole way. I did everything you asked. This is all I've asked. Like, I I, I left Houston, and the comfort of that to to move to Santa Barbara, or to move to Ventura, and then I, I, I left Ventura, and I moved to Santa Barbara, and Look at all the things I've done for you and I lay down my career for you and this is all I ask. And after about an hour of complaining, I got tired. (laughs) And finally, I started hearing his reminder. Yeah, you remember when you stepped out of your comfort zone and left Houston and how it went and when you went to Santa Barbara and, and, and by the end of it, I realized Every time I had to face that fear and trust him, it always turned out better than I could have imagined. And by the end of that hour, I was up there worshiping God in tears, thanking him. I forgot. Forgive me. I'll trust you again. Here's Santa Barbara. I'll go to Arizona. At least they have good iced tea. And so I, 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 start, I start walking down the mountain, just worshiping. I'm just worshiping God, and I'm thinking, you know, maybe I'll meet my wife in Arizona. Who knows? Maybe that's why he wants me to go there, and I'm, I'm just worshiping, and I hear, look down, and I look down, and right in front of my path is this. It's a rock exactly in the shape of an arrowhead that was in the big mountain, and I heard God say, remember, you can trust me. I'm good. And so I put this 30 some odd years ago on this and I keep it in my office. Because sometimes, friends, we're holding on to things with all our might and God says, will you let it go? Will you trust me? Because only then can he put into our hands something even better. Is there something you're holding on to for all your hope and all your security? And is he asking, let go, trust me. You can trust him. You get to know him as your best friend. Someone who knows you intimately, knows everything you want, everything you need, and wants to give you good gifts. You know, the next day, I found out I wasn't going to hell. I mean, Arizona. I was actually assigned to Santa Barbara. God gave me my Isaac back. And do you know, because I had laid down my career I had to go to Houston. So I was living in Santa Barbara. I had to go to Houston the next month. And the first day back in Houston, I met my wife, Kathy. Friends, God is good. Better than you can imagine. 
But sometimes he asks, will you trust me? Test plus trust plus time equal friendship with God. Where is he asking you to trust? Is it stepping out of your comfort zone? Is it staying faithful to him while you're waiting? Or is it letting go of something you're holding on to for all your your hope and value and identity? I want you to think about that and just do business with God as you listen to the words of the song, Available. And I want to encourage you to just make it a prayer. Okay, God, how do you want me to take a next step of trust? You know, he gives you baby steps. As you take the baby steps, you start to see how good God is. So what's the next step?